Hello there, and welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider. This is season two, uh, the final season, my friends. Yes, indeed. I hope that's uh, not too heartbreaking to y'all. Uh, coming at you from my studio slash office with my microphone covered by a wool sock to try to get some pops taken care of. This is Jared Garrett, your former unwilling cultist and host. I am here to tell you some stories, as you've no doubt learned by listening to all the rest of the episodes. Now, my friends, I have a very important question for you. Have you, in fact, listened to every other episode? Because I'm looking at my episode list, and there are a couple episodes that need some love. You know what I'm saying? Now, I mean, I guess, you know, the one that says that's called I Have Skills might seem a little boring, but it's not. It's actually one of the ones where I tell about how... Uh, the cult turned out to be relatively okay in some cases in that I gained some things. You know, I gained some actual benefits that have been lifelong good to me, you know, actual skills. So, you know, check that one out and you can you can see some of the benefit that came from the cult. Now, um, before we jump in, I want to give you a quick, well, you know what, let me give you the recap that I do, the intro that I do, and then I want to share some experiences that I've had lately that have been very interesting. And then we'll get into today's uh, story, which will probably be a little shorter. Of course, every time I've said that, we're longer. Anyway, so your quick recap, I was born and raised in a cult. It was an actual commune slash cult. It started out in the 60s. It, it was essentially an offshoot of Scientology. It was called the Process slash the Process Church of the Final Judgment. It got a little notoriety, you know. In the UK, and then it moved to the USA after a little bit of moving around from Mexico and Canada. And when I was born, like the actual month that I was born, I've heard the cult that cult kind of schismed due to some infidelity on uh, the part of Robert de Grimston, who was the main dude, and his wife, I assume, Marianne McLean, who was weird. They're both weird. They were all weird. Anyway, they schismed for a variety of reasons. And one went off into the process church of the final judgment. That was Robert's people. And then Marianne's people who stuck around, they turned into something called the foundation faith um, of the millennium. And then later the foundation faith of God. And then when they dropped all religion, they finally morphed into best friends animal society. So I'm telling you stories about growing up in that uh, strange, secretive, um, separate, separated religious commune cult. I mean, it's, it's fair to call it a cult. Uh, it didn't necessarily have nefarious purposes in life. It certainly didn't do everything right. And it certainly didn't raise the kids well at all. Um, in general, although many of us have turned out really well and far be it for me to judge, although here I am judging. So judgy, judgy, McJudge pants. Some of these episodes um, have been somewhat salty because I've had some more anger to work through. I don't think I have much more to work through here, guys. Uh, when I read some of the chapters from my memoir as part of the episodes, maybe we'll find that I do have a little more. Uh, as I've always promised, your questions will be answered. In fact, I have a question today, but I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, what happened the last couple of days, and then I'll get to my question, the question that was asked in an email from actually a friend. And then I will uh, we'll get into the uh, story for today. So this is episode 31. It's called We Were Robbed. Uh, and that is what the episode's about. We're actually going to talk about the metaphors of we were robbed and also specifically being actual robbed. Now, as I've said, the cult is no longer a cult. It's simply a very good, very important organization called Best Friends Animal Society. Well, that's located just five miles north of Kanab, Utah. Now, I live in Kanab. And Kanab is, it's my old backyard. It's where I moved to when I got out. And I love that town very much. And some years ago, I think back in 2015, 
I heard about a writer's conference down in Kanab being uh, hosted by some excellent people. And I had the chance to go down there and I got to teach. Had a really great experience there. It was great to be back in town. Uh, as a writer, it was kind of like a homecoming for me. It felt great, you know, to have go to go to the town that I landed in, got my feet under me, found out who I was, you know, did a lot of exploring, hiking, you know, a lot of self-exploration, but as well as exploring a beautiful, beautiful nature. And so I was just there, actually, just this last weekend down in Kanab, uh, staying with my good friends, Jeff and Pam Mosdell. I don't know if you guys listen to this. If you don't, that's okay. You know a lot of the story. But if you do, I hope you're enjoying it. Staying with them, they're good, good friends. I got to see a lot of my good friends. I saw Nathan Riddle, who's got a podcast that I'm going to pull up here in a second once I can find it. Um, no, it's on my phone. I will I will take the shortcut because it's on my phone. So um, I, I got to see Nathan Riddle, who's a dear friend. He was very important to my own journey back in the day. Uh, I got to see uh, Susan Honey. I went to to go specifically to thank her for all of her support and help um, and, you know, saving up for my mission. And she helped me get out there. Uh, talked to Tara Sue, her daughter, who's just a really high quality human being. Talked to a bunch of writers, Kent Douglas, among many others. Um, Liz Adair, who's great. Didn't get to talk to her for very long, but she's great. Saw Lisa Mangum, who is um, well known to pretty much every writer here in Utah. And um, boy, I tell you what, just a lot of other folks that were great. It was it was a good experience. Kayleen Hamblin, who is um, the main organizer, main committee chair, I think, for the Kanab Writers Conference. It's a good conference. I got to go teach at the library down in Kanab um, and had a great time with those kids are just so much fun. A little twisted, a little weird, wonky and fun. They're great kids. A lot of fun. Great imaginations. And they say that they got a lot out of it. So that was good. I sold some books, which was excellent, too. And I was going to talk about Nathan Riddle. Nathan Riddle is a friend from, we go way back, we did cowboy theater together. He is a talented filmmaker. He's got a podcast called The Griddle Podcast. And it's just him and a friend. It's a fiction podcast. This is the description. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll roll your eyes. Merle Maples and Harley Hanks are just a couple of good old boys who think they know more about the world than they really do. Join them in this all-new comedy show. So it's just a goofy improv show. Nathan and I had breakfast. Um, he's a good friend. I love that man. So it was a good experience. Um, and one of the funny things was at the library, um, I spoke to the parent, to, to the mom of one of the girls there, Mia. Uh, and, uh, oh, shoot, I forget their names. Was it Holly and somebody else and Mary maybe? Anyway, um, the mom of Mia, she, we talked for a little bit. She actually worked for HR. There, She works for HR at Best Friends. Had a fun conversation, you know, I did my very best to make sure that she understood that I really am not out to get anybody. Um, I'm not trying to bring anything down. I'm not trying to do an expose. I'm just telling my stories. Something on Twitter uh, got got in my head today and has really been very interesting for me to chew on. I, um, I tweeted about this thing. Um, let me see if I can grab it really quick. Yeah, this is real time. Checking out Twitter. Here we go. Uh, let's see here. So somebody named Carlos Del Valle, um, at C.G. Del Valle Jr., that's V-A-L-L-E for Valle, when you have something to say, he says, so when you have something to say, not speaking is a lie. And so I, you know, quote tweeted that and said, this is true and this is why I started my, my podcast. It's true. When I have something to say, if I don't say it, it's kind of a lie, really. And in some cases, something, if we have something to say, um, maybe we shouldn't say it just out of love if it's too rough and... We need to figure out a better way to say it. But not saying it 
is it, for me wasn't an option anymore. I needed to share this story. So, you know, I talked to Mia's mom. We had a great conversation uh, about how Best Friends is and how it used to be uh, when I was helping build it. Um, she bought one of my book, Beyond the Cabin, which is the novelization of my childhood. And at the end of the session, uh, two, year, two, two, two hours later, she showed up, actually, and that's when we talked a little more, and she bought my book. But she also brought her boss, the head of the HR down there, uh, who we all, I chatted with as well. Boy, they were just great, high-quality, fun people, great ladies. Uh, and they both bought my book, uh, Beyond the Cabin. We had some good conversations. And so it was nice to feel real peace as I spoke to people who are doing a part of that excellent work that Best Friends is doing. Also had the experience of running into um, Brenda Batista, who is the wife of Bart Batista, one of the guys I grew up with. Um, I might have mentioned him in passing a few times, how we raged and we also boxed sometimes and trained together. Um, wasn't able to cross paths with Bart, but I was able to talk to Brenda a little bit. I went to Peekaboo Kitchen, which is run by Bart Batista's dad, Francis, and found Francis there with his wife, Silva, uh, and Judah. I mean, I remember when Silva joined, actually. I didn't see her join, but she joined in another branch, and then it was well known that this British lady had joined. Um, so, but she's a founder. But the thing is, she was new back in, in my Denver days, or Dallas days, early Dallas days, when I was nine, uh, 10 or 11, I think. She was new still. So it's funny that now, you know, 34 years later, she's a founder, which makes total sense. Anyway, I uh, saw Judah, hadn't seen him for a while, um, shook his hand, talked to him for just a minute, and then I went over, shook, shook Francis's hand. He, he was quite shocked to see me. He's like, Jared Garrett? Uh, and Silva was fairly speechless to see me. They were having a conversation with, I think, some important people, so I didn't want to insert myself or anything. But I thought it'd be nice to, you know, go make sure that they know that, that, that I have, you know, nothing but perfectly fine uh, placid feelings for them. I, I don't have anything against them. I'm not going to seek to make friends with some of those folks just because I don't really feel drawn to that. Uh, and it's my right to not make friends with people. Uh, I certainly will always be polite, though. Um, anyway, fun times. Francis is the guy who, when I was born, um, I, I was born, you know, with a different name. And when I, a, a year after I was born, uh, Francis is the one who told my mom, Magdalene, hey, I want that name. And so she wound up changing my name to Jared. And he took the name that I'd had as a baby. So that's funny. He's also one of the guys who made me very scared of water. He's the one who held my head underwater in a, a pool out front of Dallas uh, and made me feel like I was going to drown. So thanks, Francis. I don't hold it against you. You were making a joke, but it wasn't very pleasant. And uh, good to see you down there. Uh, it's always nice to be down there and, and be in my old backyard and think about all the dog poo that I scooped. So uh, Tyson's question. So Tyson is a... Uh, we, we were able to chat at a conference um, back in September, the big, big conference month. Uh, his name is Tyson Abaroa. He, um, he wrote a book called The Fattest Mormon, which actually won a Whitney Award last year. And let me see if I can find it really fast. Um, I think it's in with it really quick. Nope, that's not where it is. Looking for it still. Deet, deet, deet. So, um, yeah, that's probably where it is. So he had a question. So he asked, hello, sir. Da, da, da. Oh, by the way, get his book. It's The Fattest Mormon. He says, he asks, did the foundation celebrate traditional holidays? Uh, he said, since we're upon the season, I wondered what you would have done. It's a great question. We did. We totally did. Um, and that's going to be something we talk a little bit more about in a few episodes from now called More of the Good Stuff. But yeah, we celebrated Christmas. We celebrated uh, Halloween. 
uh, Easter, all the usuals. We even celebrated birthdays, and those were a giant highlight. And so, yeah, there were there were aspects of our lives that were very much normal, um, very normal. It's kind of interesting, um, you know. And so, you look from an outsider looking in, you might say, "Oh, these kids are have a pretty good life," you know, especially if you see us opening a couple of presents down there on Christmas or eating Easter candy peeps and jelly beans, which I adore, um, having a fun part birthday party, absolutely, uh, until you realize that many of us didn't have anybody we could trust, you know, no adult figure that we could go to for affection and safety and love. Um, so, yeah, normalcy here and there, but that doesn't, that doesn't fix the fact that there was no, no actual consistent loving a relationship there, at least not for me, and maybe some others, yes, but not for me. So there we go. Um, yes, we had the holidays, and they were as normal as I think you could expect. I mentioned how sometimes, you know, the kids of the uh, main leader of the Dallas branch seemed, not seemed, they were absolutely spoiled, uh, but uh, it doesn't matter. It's, that's water under the bridge. So yeah, here we go. Now let's get into this story about we were robbed. So I'm going to start with just the kind of metaphorical, we were robbed. We were robbed, you know, uh, parents made wrong choices. And um, I have to stress, you know, really every time I think that it, while there were about 30 of us kids who grew up this way and who I techn who I call cult orphans, and, and that's fair, the truth is we all had, we each had our own individual experience there. We each had different relationships with others, others of our peers, our, our, our cult orphan peers, you could say. We each also had our own different experiences with adults. Um, in my case, I rarely was with one of my parents, uh, especially later, you know, starting around age 11, I was rarely with one. And even when I was with one, there was not, I didn't feel like there was a parental relationship. Like I, I knew that Enoch, later Bruce, and now my dad, um, always my dad, my whole life, biologically, you know, I, I can see that he was trying, looking back, to, to, to make a relationship with me, but it was just not something the cult wanted. And so he had a lot going against him. And so, you know, more power to him for doing what he did. Um, but it, the truth is, it just wasn't enough. And it's not really on him, except for the fact that he and my mother decided to be in a cult and, you know, adhere to their rules of letting the cult raise us kids. We were robbed of parenting. We were robbed of deep, trusting relationships. Many of us were robbed of good, affectionate relationships. Um, I get the feeling that some weren't, that some did have overall a uh, relationship with their parents. But, you know, I think that there's, some of them were very dysfunctional relationships because, you know, how do those parents adhere to the cult rules that they're not really allowed to be raising their kids, but they still did treat their kids like their kids. You know, Manuel, he was all, he spent up until the age of, um, 11 or 12, just full time with his parents and in Cyrus, the Cyrus is the guy, of course, who beat the crap out of me when I was nine. Right. Um, and then, uh, who else? Vanessa and Johanna, they spent much of their early childhood and really all of their, all of their childhood, really, although I may not know their earliest years with Lucia and Jason, their actual parents, you know, and Isaac spent a fair amount of time with Raphael, his dad. Uh, so there, there are plenty who did, um, and, and, and I have often felt a little envious of how good of a relationship my brother Matthias had with Magdalene. Now, I know it wasn't a normal one, but it certainly was better than mine. And I'm not entirely certain why he did have a better relationship with her, but I can only guess that it was just a bit an advantage of age. He was older. 
You know, he, he, he knew her better. He spent more of his years with her. Um, and then he, he got out of the cult and went on to a life, but then he did spend time going back, you know, and making a, making a deliberate effort to have a relationship with her. And then also with John, his dad, who spoke like this, you're saying, right? Who wound up marrying Celeste for, until he passed. Um, so, so yeah, I didn't really have a relationship with them. And that, that, there's no doubt that we were robbed of that. And we were robbed of, um, plenty of other things as well. But the truth is that was the biggest one. You need to have those parental relationships. And now we'll pause very quickly for some station identification. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that little note there. Um, I really do like uh, my sponsors, especially Anchor. Is just been, it's a wonderful platform, guys. Okay, let's get to the specific story for today's podcast. I know, I hope this doesn't feel like, oh boy, he really rambled to lead up. But really, that was all good, important content. And I've been told by listeners that the rambling's kind of fun. So, hey, I'm just trying to help. please y'all. But here we go. I had my hands in the air as if you could, you can see me, but you can't see me. My hands are still in the air. What is wrong with me? I'm putting my hands down. Okay. So, to get right to the weirdness of our childhood, yes, no parents, not really, at least. Uh, in Dallas, we were led by the megalomaniac Lucia, who was Vanessa and Johanna's mother. She was crazy, but I don't know if that was clinical in her behavior. She was, boy, she could do some just things that was very, very hurtful. She was very emotionally abusive. She was very, um, oh, what's the word? Terrible? Uh, I don't know why she was this way. I don't think I care to know why, but she was not pleasant at all to be around. She would just ream us for hours and hours give us unbelievably stupid punishments like my 5,000 lines punishment. What the heck, man? Make me stand in the corner for two days or three days or whatever it was. I forgot already. Um, not a pleasant human being. But weird sometimes. Like weirdly fun sometimes. I mean, teaching us the Irish Republican Army songs like In Dublin town they fought and died with Pierce McDay. I'm way off. Anyway, you know, and she taught us how to make bread, I, which I enjoyed. Um, she um, let us do these funny films as part of faith school, part of our, our, our curriculum. Um, she was weird, but she also said no rock music for a while. One thing she decided really just out of the blue for me, and I don't know if this was, you know, her reaction, her trying to not be such a hard ass, pardon my French, um, maybe she was trying to butter us up or something, or maybe Vanessa and Asta or something had been pestering her. I'm not sure. So after we moved from the main down, kind of the, the main area of Dallas to northern Dallas where Richardson was, which is where I made some good friends, um, we we started, we started ended up making some friends there, and it was clear that we were. And, you know, it was clear, even though we got very good at covering things up, that many of the kids were just kind of sneaking out. And getting involved in things they probably shouldn't have been. Um, I don't. Again, I don't know why this happened, but all of out of the blue to me, Lucia announced that we could have a party. We could actually throw a party, like the kind of party you see in the movies, like in Sixteen Candles and uh, Pretty in Pink, and that kind of high school trash party. Those terrible things. Um, and we were going to actually have live music because one of I think Vanessa's friends was in a band, and they were going to come and play. And I don't believe we got a permit by any means to have somebody 
some band playing in, in, in our home, but we that's what happened. So it was decided that this party would be hosted at El Santo, as we called it. El Santo was the street that one of the houses were on. So there was a house on Chattington, a house on El Santo, and a house on La Cabeza, and each house was simply referred to its street name. So El Santo was the house where us boys lived. It's a fairly big-ish living room area. Um, I think that it was decided to be hosted there because adults, a fair number of adults lived in Chattington as well as La Cabeza, but only two adults lived, maybe just one actually, John Vermeulen. Anyway, uh, lived in, um, no, Tim was with us and he was technically adult. In any case, there were just a couple of adults and mostly mostly boys who lived in this house. So I understand, you know, less, um, you know, disturbing the peace in, in the other homes where the adults were. And it was mostly for the kids anyway. Um, so it was hosted there. We set a date. And the idea was that we would just invite a bunch of people. And I think it was going to start at 6 or 7. And it was going to go till 9 or 10. And it was so bizarre to be planning this party where, you know, food was going to be there. And we were going to have beverages. And we weren't supposed to have alcohol. But people showed up with a keg. Um, and that's exactly how it unfolded. This party began. And the house got completely packed. Full of people. And I'm like, this is terrible. I hated it. I hated it. It was so loud. It was packed. People were smoking. People were drinking. It was a terrible, horrible, awful mess. I don't like that kind of thing. I never have. And that was my domain. So I actually spent a lot of my part of a lot, a lot of that party either talking to with Zara, who was a friend of ours, um, who is a really fun girl, uh, good, a, a friend of ours. I think we, we had met her at the promenade, that movie theater down the road. Uh, I had a bit of a crush on her. I don't think she was particularly interested in me. Uh, Vanessa sure had a good time teasing me about, you know, and, and being really ridiculous about the way I felt about her. So that's fun. Yay. Uh, or I just spent it in my room just trying to get away from all the noise. Uh, finally, it went away, got done. Uh, people uh, actually, no, that's not how it went. <laughs> it was probably around 9.30 or 10 when the cops showed up uh, due to the incredible noise. They wound up in the back, and I went out there, and I saw that they were there, and I'm like, holy smoke. Uh, and one of the adults who was there, probably John or not, 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 not John, Jonathan or, or John Vermeulen, um, went out there and, um, you know, dealt with them. And uh, I think that's when the party had to get shut down. So the party got shut down. People took off. Uh, band packed up. It was a huge mess. Spent the night, uh, an hour or two cleaning up. And um, that was that. It was weird. Um, took some time, I think, to get the carpets clean. Anyway, so we, um, that was that. And I think that there was talk of maybe doing another party sometime. Um, and then a few weeks later, uh, we got home and we'd been robbed. The house at, uh, on El Santo, us boys' house, it, it had been robbed. Uh, and Jonathan told us that earlier in the day he'd gotten there um, and had seen what he thought was maybe a van or truck with its back pointed at our garage, backed into the driveway area at the at the back of the house, which was led to, which which looked out on an alley essentially, the front of the house looking out on the street of El Santo, and that he'd gone around the front, uh, which is unusual for him, and made noise going through the door. I think that he was scared, which is you know valid. Uh, and I think that the, his, the noise of him getting into the house scared the people off. They took off. Uh, but when we got home from school that day, he, which was still, by the way, on the street called Bowser, so the house was called Bowser. Um, so he, he they, they, we got there, and uh, I think we had a TV, and it was gone. Um, 
and uh, other small valuables like a record player, I believe it was gone as well. We had a record player, guys. Uh, I listened to uh, Duran Duran's uh, record on it, The Reflex, uh, and Hungry Like the Wolf. Man, it was a good time. Um, and then the rooms had been tossed as well. Uh, Tim, who's a good friend, always it was, always will be, uh, he, all of his expensive um, music equipment, um, back in the day you had to have a really big setup, a really nice setup in order to listen to music in your home, uh, it was gone. The binoculars that Matthias had gotten me with the really good ones with the nice zoom and stuff, they were gone. Um, and I think that my CD player was not stolen because it was such a piece of trash. Um, and yeah, it was, we were robbed and that was that. Um, it's funny because I didn't feel scared. You know, I didn't feel like I'd been violated. I just felt, well, this sucks and it's unfair. Uh, but we quickly determined, of course, the cops came and, um, at our, at our call because it was a law had been broken there. They assured us that we would almost certainly never get anything back, which really pissed me off because I love those binoculars. Um, we quickly determined that it had probably been somebody who'd been at the party who'd walked around, cased the joint, uh, figured out how they'd get in with their friend or friends. And that was that. And that that's a really common MO for, for this kind of thing. And that was that we were robbed, stolen from, you know, it was gone. Um, and I have binoculars again, my friends. So don't worry. You're happy, happy, fine heads about that. I have my binoculars. I don't have the same ones and they're not quite as good still, but I have good binoculars that I think I, Went ahead and just bought some some many years ago. They're great though. They're very useful. Um, I know Tim was just just infuriated by it. Uh, he man, he had it was expensive equipment that was robbed. I think John Vermeulen actually had some musical instruments stolen, and valuable ones like maybe even electric guitar. Certainly, I think his saxophone. It was it was pretty devastating for those guys. But for me, it was just well, this sucks. You know, terrible. Um, and I moved on with life. Um, which is sort of, you know, how I think that I felt like I was training myself to do and our circumstances were training me to do was to just move on, you know, not dwell on things. I mean, the truth is that's hypocritical or not entirely true because I did dwell on things. I dwelled on how crappy my life was sometimes. I raged about it. I ranted about it. Um, but uh, on that day, it was just we've been robbed. Uh, we got, uh, I think, a new lock on the back door. Um, we started putting um, a rod. They'd gone through this, the, the, you know, one of those sliding glass doors. So we ended up, we started putting a rod in it to keep it from being able to be opened. Uh, and we practiced better lock security and we weren't robbed again, which is nice, I guess, you know. Um, but that was that. What a weird, what a weird thing, you know. What a, what a strange, um, out of the blue, unexplained thing to do to allow us to have a party. Beer was there, loud music because it was a live band and then to be robbed you know as a direct result of it i wonder i i don't remember being lectured about it i wouldn't think so because this was as far as i know lucia's idea but i wonder if um there was some lesson that she would have liked to say where see you associated with the world and this is what you got Brr, blah 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 whatever um but uh, that was that man and that was the it was sometime while I was 16, because soon after turning 17, I was out of that place. Uh, and that's the story for this this podcast, you know, the story of being robbed and the weird kind of juxtaposing or contradictory thing, you could say, of having a party, like right out of high school movies, actual weirdness. So, so weird, you know, Anthony Michael Hall should have shown up 
or uh, Molly Ringwald or something, somebody, you know. Um, Ducky should have been there with his cool clothes from back in the day. So I still am bemused by the fact that we had this crazy party, you know, and I've attended one of those crazy parties. And guess what? I didn't drink any alcohol because I never had any interest in alcohol, ever. Um, except, for, I guess, when I was nine, my dad had me. I said, what is that? Uh, and I called him Enoch. I, Enoch, what are you drinking? He's like, I'm drinking beer. And I think it was Bulldog brand. Pretty sure it was Bulldog brand, which I hear is terrible. And I said, well, is it, is it any good? And he, he said, here, have a sip. And I had a sip and it was just disgusting. And I never touched beer again. The only other alcohol I drank after that years for years was just wine and uh, wine coolers. And, and those tasted good. But alcohol itself just tastes bad. You know, it, it, once, once it's been out for five, even 10 minutes, it tastes dr like it's drying and rotting. So I don't recommend that stuff, man. Anyway, um, so that's, uh, that's pretty much all I got for you. Uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, there are a couple of things that I'd really at, like to ask you to do. Um, I know, I know, I know I ask you to do all these things. Listen to my words, uh, review this podcast. That's the first thing. Review the podcast, will you? Will you share it on your social media with the hashtag insider or insiders? Um, I, or even just, you know, tag me or something so that I know that you're doing it on Twitter or Instagram. I'm not on Snapchat, but let me know if I should be on Snapchat. Um, you know, Facebook even, you know, uh, share it, talk about it, rate it, review it, all those good things. Find my books and purchase them with your money or something, or tell somebody that you're, uh, that, that you want my books for Christmas or something, man. Come on, the season's coming on us. Let's pay some bills, baby. And if all else fails, there should be a link on most of your platforms out there where you can click on it and you can actually give me cash. Now, it's terrible to solicit money, but you know, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. I don't really. Uh, I'm just having a good time. So no pressure. It's no hard sell. That's all I got. Um, you let me know if you have any questions. If you want to reach out to me uh, with questions, jared at jaredgarrett.com. If you want to book me to talk to your people and make you laugh and cry and cheer, I will happily do that as well. Um, I like to address, you know, big and small groups. I got to do some great uh, teaching this last year, this whole year. I did about 20 events. I spoke at about 15 of them. Uh, I did a couple that were semi-keynote type, type talks, and they were great, really well-received. Um, and, um, that's pretty much it. Stay happy, stay hungry, stay engaged in the world and keep finding that beauty, my friends. And, uh, stay tuned. I'm going to have an announcement about my new podcast, which I'm going to launch here fairly shortly, uh, in the upcoming episodes, but, uh, come back soon for episode 32, where I read a chapter from my memoir. Do, do, do. And as Sean would say, wait for it. Bye, guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in.